It's hour number two of Canuck Central. If you missed hour one, big conversation there with uh, Irfan Gafar on Bruce Boudreau and uh, the direction the Canucks may go in here through the course of the summer. Also, who may be the first of the big contracts that they get done, which uh, is kind of a big story as uh, the Canucks go through some of their amateur and pro scouting meetings. You wonder if that may come down the line. Not too far from now. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. McDavid, Matthews, and Shesterkin are the Hart Trophy finalists. Uh, Did the writers get it right, Sat? Uh, I'd love to say no, but yeah, I think they did. No, I think they got it wrong. I think you're you wrong. You did? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. I think they got it right. I mean, to me, McDavid was was getting my vote. Yep. Uh, I think Austin Matthews definitely deserved to be a finalist for it. Um, would I have maybe picked Kaprizov over Shosturkin? Probably. I think he would be the guy going there. But I'm not too upset about it because Shosturkin, the year he had, I mean, when you have when you're that valuable to your team, despite the fact you don't play every game, you can build the argument for him. And I think he had one of the best arguments a goalie's had in a long time. Would you give any player in the league a Hart Trophy chance if they played 53 games? Uh, only if they're like Mario Lemieux. <laughs> yeah, if it's like, you know, Gretz <laughs> putting up two points a night, sure. But, like, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a different standard for goalies. So no other player in the league, no position player in the league outside of goalies would get the same consideration if they only played 53 games. Yeah, it was about 92, 93. Um, yeah. He won the Hart Trophy. Mario Lemieux, he played 60 games that year and had 160 <laughs> points. I mean, you score 160 <laughs> points in 60 games, you know. But, like, but my point being, Shesterkin, right, didn't play 60 games less, but he, he the amount of wins he brought his team was immense. It was incredible. Again, I, I probably would have picked Kaprizov, but I don't have a big issue with it because that's how good a year Shesterkin had. Like he really did have that good of a year. Yeah, you know, like if if he, like he, there was like no competition between him and like who was number two in, in goals save above expectation. It was him and everybody else. It was like Soros was close and Demko was great, and there was a huge gap between, you know, Demko and Shosturkin the type of year that he had. So if Shosturkin wasn't as good as he was, I'd totally be there with you. But considering how good he was in the in the starts he had, despite of the fact it was under sixty, I, I can't. I can't be mad about it. He had a uh, 12-game stretch towards the end of the season there where his save percentage was sub-900. Mm-hmm. That's like a quarter of his season where he was below average. <laughs> so, I mean, like, okay, it, it's easy to make these kind of arguments. I'm not trying to discount too much uh, the, the the year that Igor Shesterkin had. He was and has been incredible for the New York Rangers. I don't think they're anywhere near... Uh, a top three spot in the Metro without Igor Shesterkin. So that really does give... They're the, not a playoff team without him. Yeah, that, like that's the whole most valuable part about this. That's that's really hard to deny. But as uh, producer Eddie told me, um, the last four goalies to win the heart all played at least 66 games. So it would it it, it is a really really uh, precedent-setting type of nomination for Igor Shesterkin. Let's bring in our next guest uh, into the conversation, Peter Labardius, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, calling those games you hear here on Sportsnet 
650 as well through their playoff series. Uh, how's Calgary feeling about the Johnny Gaudreau snub on the Hart Trophy conversation? Um, I think people are a little disappointed. I responded this way, guys, on our show today that I'm a part of every day at 1 o'clock, and that is um, I think you have to be a little careful with feeling like you're snubbed, and, you know, these things require a, a lot of research and, you know, what you value and what you don't. But if this were almost any other year, I don't think there's a question that, you know, Johnny would have been a finalist, but look around the league this year. How many great individual seasons have there been? You know, it wasn't too long ago, fellas, that, you know, if you ended up with 115 points, your chances of winning the scoring race were pretty good. Now, we almost did it this year, too. Um, but, you know, I, I don't see it as a snub, and I wouldn't have felt any different. He was deserving to get in, but I don't really see it as a snub. I'm sure a lot of Calgary Flame supporters probably do. Well, I mean, hey, fans are always going to feel like uh, their guys get snubbed when they don't make the finalist list, and that's just natural, and that's what makes it a lot of fun and why fans get so tribal. But uh, as far as Jacob Markstrom is concerned, he is a nominee for the Vesna. And Goudreau, of course, you know, could have been a nominee for the Hart Trophy. Do you, was it clear-cut, though, that Goudreau was the MVP of the team, or do you think there was there is a debate to be had between him and Markstrom? Well, um it's it, it's it's interesting for me there is a debate um and i would put it to you this way i think the most important member of the calgary flames up front is arguably elias lindholm because i'm not sure the other two guys get done what they get done on the line without his masterful work and a lot of people might not see it that way, but when you watch this team day in and day out and you see his work, um, you know, Johnny certainly would have my vote, but it wouldn't be by a landslide. And I think the two guys that play with Elias would be the first to tell you. Um, is If you're talking about, do I think the debate was between Jacob and Johnny? Is that more the question? Yeah, to some extent. Yeah, like, you know, it, as good as Goudreau has been, was he the MVP of his own team is the question, essentially. Well, like I said, I if I if I had a vote, you know, Elias would be right there for me. Um, you know, Jacob has been so, so much for this team, and it runs so much deeper for me than just what he does between the pipes. It's his competitiveness – you know, I think Calgary in both Markstrom and Chris Tanev, you know, not to poke any holes in your market, but... <laughs> oh, sure, um, Peter. <laughs> you know, yeah. these guys aren't just really, really good players. They're culture changers. And, and I've felt that way virtually since they made their way to town. And I think, you know, with more than a half a season under their belt, and the coaching change and, you know, just some of the other pieces that were added, um, veteran people who have won before. So I'm a, I'm a massive Jacob Markstrom fan. And it's funny because, um, you know, I remember Jacob very, very well, you know, Jacob kind of burst on the hockey scene for those of us a little bit older 
you know, when he played in back-to-back World Juniors with Sweden in 09 and 2010, and, you know, it was evident that he had every single tool in the book, but, you know, in the gold medal game against Canada in 09, things came unraveled for him a little bit, and he had a tough 2010 semifinal against the United States. But this is a guy who it's not about him. He wants to win, and he's a great teammate, leads by example. He's been a great mentor for Daniel Vladar. They're lucky to have him. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know the culture change thing, and it, it is so hard to quantify, but it was obviously felt here in Vancouver. And you know, I I, I laugh because you know our, our listeners they they still get bent out of shape about how well Markstrom and and Tanev have gone gotten on uh, in in Calgary, but. It just feels like um, the whole team is, has, has been a lot more mature this year. It, 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 maybe it stems from Sutter, but I think also some of the big acquisitions that Brad Treliving made to that effect have, have started to have their impact after that first full season. Well, I think the interesting thing, guys, and you know, you guys do such a good job in your marketplace and overall always enjoy listening to you, but um, the thing that gets lost with this team sometimes is actually the amount of turnover that has occurred. You know, even in this marketplace, it's been about the core group. And, but there's so many different faces. You know, you take a a duo on defense in Zadorov and Goodbranson that has given you a completely different type of element that you didn't have before. And they've been really, really important. You know, you add Trevor Lewis. You acquire Tyler Toffoli. You know, again, one thing I think is really important when you're looking for change or maybe to do things different is, yes, the coach and his message are always going to be really, really important. But you know what's even more important for me? Having the right guys in your room that believe in it and convey it. And, you know, with guys who have experience with Daryl. They've won. They know all that goes hand in hand with him. And trust me, he's a tough marker. As tough as they get, as tough in 38 years of covering hockey at all different levels that I've seen. And, you know, he demands excellence. And he is on guys day in, day out, whether it's on his team, on his staff. And that's not always easy for people. But when you have guys that have won with him and understand it, I think conveying that message and and being able to support some guys, including some of the younger guys, um, has really made a big difference, again, over and above what's taken place on the ice. Well, and, you know, the, the other guy that came in via trade in a former Canuck is Tyler Toffoli. And is there a guy in these playoffs that's more snake bit than he is so far? No, no. No, and I will not be the least bit surprised. He won't score one. He'll score two in a game. That's that's how I find things go a lot of the time. A guy's around it, around it. You know, last night, nice little play to jump from behind the end line, get in the shooting position, rings one off the bar, goes literally through the crease off the defenseman's skate. Um, good box out on Milan Lucic didn't allow him to poke it home, but that that's the feeling I get about Tyler. Um, I've really liked his last two games 
in particular. I thought he fought it a little bit earlier in the series, but I will not be the least bit surprised if, you know, starting tomorrow night, he's a big contributor. He's just been around it too much. It's going to go. It's going to go. The uh, the top line obviously um, has stayed. Well, Gaudreau has taken a lot of criticism through some of his playoff performances in the past, and and they were going through it a little bit early in the series. But I mean, nobody was scoring uh, early in the series as well. But nobody's still scoring. Yeah, still nobody's scoring. That's right. But Matthew Kachuk specifically, kind of getting his head more in the game and out of some of the the funny stuff that was going on very early in the series. Is that is that kind of been one of the turning points for that top line? Well, I thought they were really good in Game 4. But to be frank, including from head coach Daryl Sutter, he didn't think that line played very well last night and didn't play with very much pace. And so, you know, Matthew in particular, um, you know, for a guy who had more than 100 points and more than 40 goals and, you know, is a very noticeable guy most nights, I thought his Game 1 performance was exceptional. It's one of the most detailed, complete, physical, make a difference, be around it, played with pace. Um, It's one of my favorite games that he's played all season long. And needless to say, a guy had 15 games or he had three or more points. So it's probably saying something. I don't think he's been quite back at that level, you know, since some of the Klingberg stuff, way better in game four. They were way better as a trio in game four, but there's still there's still more there to be had. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. And, and for Matthew, and this doesn't come from me, you know, it even comes from a couple of coaches prior to Daryl, is, you know, Matthew is not the world's best skater, but when he moves his feet, everything else takes care of itself his ability to make plays, get to spots, be an agitator, um, you know, be in good position in his own zone to make sure pucks get out of the right end of the rink and into the other end. So I look, I look for him in particular to be closer to game one, Matthew in game six tomorrow. Well, and as far as that Dallas Stars team is concerned, what has impressed you the most about the Dallas Stars? Is it goaltending? Is it how they're playing as a team? Is it coaching? Like, what has really stood out to you for the Dallas Stars making the series so tough for the Calgary Flames? Well, I'm going to ask you this, guys, in, in, in return. Obviously, Jake Ottinger, you know, for a 23-year-old youngster, in his first role in years in NHL playoff starting goaltender has been phenomenal he he certainly has been a huge huge reason why they've done what they've done but um you know Dallas for me this season might be the most Jekyll and Hyde team that I watched because when they were really good and dialed into the details a lot of the things that they're doing in this series does not surprise me but there were other games and even in the course of games where their ability to stick to those details, you know, would go away. And, you know, for the most part, I give them a boatload of credit, including last night for 40 minutes. They came out and they dictated that game and how it was going to be played. They understand that, you know, they're not going to score a bunch. 
but they give you nothing easy and they have been very determined and because of that I, I think the series frankly is a long way from over I really do it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fascinating uh, game tomorrow night. Uh, we'll have it here on Sportsnet 650. Peter Lavardius, color analyst for the Flames, and you hear him every day on Sportsnet 960. Uh, one one thing before we let you go, sure. Uh, how you feeling about Kirk Cousins and your Vikings? Uh, schedule's coming out tonight. I see uh, Monday Nighter Week Three against the Eagles. Well, let, well, let me just say this. <laughs> Purple has caused me more grief in 56 years of life than I could have ever imagined. Um, <laughs> I am not a rash Madani when it comes to Kirk Cousins, one of the smartest people I know, but frankly a little irrational when it comes to the Vikings quarterback, in my personal opinion. Um, you know, like every once in a while in football, and I'm not saying you're ever winning a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins, but giving up 200 points in the last two minutes of halves, probably not good for your win-loss <laughs> column either. So yeah. I'm going to tell you how I feel about purple right now. Three words for today. I don't care. <laughs> they give me more than enough headaches, grief, tum, and roll-aid necessity days come September. I don't care about their schedule. I don't care about their draft right now. I don't. There is nothing purple in this house right now for that very reason. I <laughs> uh, love it. But uh, we'll, we'll see you in purple in week one. Uh, thanks for this, Peter. Always appreciate your time. Okay. Always a pleasure, guys. Keep up the great work. Uh, there is Peter Labardius, uh, great uh, color analyst for the Calgary Flames. Uh, those games airing on Sportsnet 650 here. And. Um, also a daily show at 1 o'clock on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. So, uh, I love it. NFL schedule. How many, like, NFL fans are, like, actually happy with their team, Sad? It feels like... Nobody's ever happy. There's always some sort of complaining about the schedules, right? And, yeah. I mean, there's always something to pick apart. But um, at the end of the day, it is the sport, though, where your schedule dictates your results more than any other sport. mm yeah. I mean, you can be a good football team that's a playoff team, but your schedule is so difficult that you miss the playoffs and go like, you know, I guess it's different now, 9-8 and eight or whatever, and just miss the playoffs. And you're probably a team that's better than two or three squads that had like double-digit win totals because of your schedule being that difficult. So I can understand why uh, there is trepidation, but it's not like people didn't know who you were playing. I and mean, the schedule, the only thing new about the schedule that came out today is who's playing whom in what week. But we yeah. already knew all the opponents ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, NFL schedule day is always kind of funny uh, to see how that people react to it. But uh, at least we get to know when some of the big games yeah. are eventually going to happen. Uh, on and the, the videos are good, though, of like the teams of the, their schedule releases. Yes. The, they do some creative ones. They're pretty funny. You got to love uh, social media these days. Just up and everything. Up and everything into the game. Uh, my favorite is football transfers. Sometimes you get some hilarious videos. Um, but uh, yes. I'll, I'll digress from that. Um, <laughs> uh, not American football. I was I was meaning the other kind, uh, the real football. Um, oh, people are going to hammer me. For oh, that. there you go. <laughs> I just I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay out of this one. Direct your hate mail to Dan Riccio at Dan Riccio underscore on Twitter to be specific. How do you feel when? One of the many Calgary reporters, and we hear it from all of them, like anybody we talk to in Calgary is just like, and the 
just the the presence of of Markstrom and Tanev has made such a difference on this roster. And we also felt it quite a bit here in Vancouver when they left, obviously, remembering how bad last season got off to uh, at the start and how there were some hurt feelings within that room that so many players were let in, like were allowed to walk in free agency in the course of that offseason. Obviously, it was not a normal offseason with the pandemic, but it had an effect, and it's had the opposite effect on Calgary. Jokes aside, Calgary Canucks, whatever, it's really worked for them, and this team does seem a lot more mature now after some of these additions than they were, say, a couple of years ago. Well, and they they did bring the right guys in. And that was a team that really had some fractures and issues in that locker room. And there was always talk about maturity and, you know, who's a true leader in the spine of that team. And you saw them have a lot of success. I mean, last year, there wasn't a lot of success for that team. And I think a lot of that stuff kind of blew up in their face. But this year, when the team is doing a lot better, it gets a lot easier to talk about those things. So uh, as much as yes... They are good locker room guys, and they're guys that bring people together. You only focus on that, though, as long as you're winning. And that was really not the focus on those two players last year when the team missed the playoffs, despite yeah. the fact they went out and spent a ton of money on those two players. But also, that like those players specifically performed really well, right? Like Even Tanev last year uh, still had a really strong season, played in every game pretty much. And Markstrom had a bit of a tougher first year in Calgary, but is obviously, uh, as a Vesna nominee, has been uh, much better this season. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. This is Canuck Central. Let's get to the goal horn here on Canuck Central. Couple of goals to bring you here on uh, on the show. And the goal horn is brought to you by Surrey Cedar. For quality Cedar products, visit their two lower mainland locations in Langley or Port Coquitlam. The Bruins have a one nothing lead on the Carolina Hurricanes thanks to none other than future Hall of Famer Brad Marchand. And the Tampa Bay Lightning have a one-goal lead at the end of one on the Maple Leafs. It was Andre Palat scoring his third of the series unassisted, unless you want to give an assist to Alex Kerfoot, who made a baffling pass, drop pass in the neutral zone, Right to Palat, springing him on a half breakaway, which he eventually beat Jack Campbell on. Not great. Not great. Not great. <laughs> Although, I-, I will say, though, this has been the playoffs of comebacks. Third period leads are not safe. So yeah. one goal lead doesn't mean much in these post- in these playoffs right now. Yeah, well, uh, Lightning gave up a uh, two-goal lead in the last game of that mm-hmm. series. We saw two... Th- well, the Penguins were up 2 nothing on the Rangers last night before... Uh, Allowing the Rangers to come back. Also, Florida was down 3 nothing against Washington before that game flipped as well. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins played really well in this series, but it all flipped after the Sidney Crosby injury last night. Mike DeFabo will join us next to talk, the Peng- uh, talk about the Penguins side of things on Sportsnet 650. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Love hearing from our live listeners here on uh, Canucks Central, whether you're listening live or uh, later on on demand via the podcast. Always appreciate you getting in touch with us. Uh, Tomorrow is a mailbag Friday, so get ready to send in your questions for us to answer. This one uh, from Sam and Lake Cowichan on the um, 
650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. The Vancouver media was sure wrong about Eric Branson. He wasn't good enough for the Canucks, but he's sure good <laughs> enough for the Flames. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but Eric Branson sucked in Vancouver. Yes. I don't know who needs to hear this, but he sucked in Vancouver. And I have a lot of time for Eric Branson, the person. The reason he sucked in Vancouver is because they were asking him to play a top four role and a shutdown role, and they gave up a lot for him to do that. He was making getting paid over $4 million, and they gave up a second-round pick in Jared McCann and more to acquire Eric Branson. What does Eric Branson do in Calgary? He plays, what, 16, 17 minutes a game on the third pair. Mm-hmm. That's a lot different. Yep. And they're paying him less than $2 million per season. It's not that Eric Goodbranson is a bad, horrible hockey player. It's what you're asking him to do, how much you're paying him to do so, and what you give up to acquire him to do so. That's the discussion around Goodbranson. It has nothing to do with, you know, whether he's fine to play on a third-pair role or whatever. Sure, he can play a third-pair role. He can play those types of minutes. But that's not what Vancouver paid him mm-hmm. and paid to acquire him and asked him to do in Vancouver. It's... um. It's one of the things that this or the previous regime did quite a bit, uh, especially early on in their tenure. Um, the Goodbranson move, and you even look at the the Sutter move to a certain extent as well. You know, improperly identifying players and the roles that they could fill on the roster. Like it's not that they were horrible players; it's you thought they could fill bigger roles than they were able to succeed in and paid them to fill roles that they were unable to succeed in as well. And that, you know, when you have one or two or three of those types of mistakes, you know, they can be really soul crushing against the salary cap. And especially when you give up quite a few assets to acquire those players as well via trade. So, you know, just it's it's all about finding players the right role to succeed in. And we saw that to a certain extent this year with the Vancouver Canucks. You know, Brad Hunt, is he, uh, you know, a star NHL defenseman? No. Can he succeed in a sheltered third-pair role? Can he, like, fill you minutes a little bit and score a few points? Like, absolutely. That's what he can do. You know, and that's that's the difference between um, not just acquiring talented players but finding players to fill the roles that you need at an appropriate cost as well. Yeah, I mean, and that's what everything comes down to. And this is the point I'm even before when Gerbranson was on Vancouver's team, I said, hey, I don't have anything against him. It's what you're asking him to do. Same thing for a guy like Louis Erickson. Same thing for a number of players on this team. It's not so much about who the individual player is. Every single player in the league, you can make an argument to have that person in your organization. The question is, what are you paying that person? What are you asking that person to do? And where do they rank within your organization? And for many years, the Canucks overextended themselves for players that did not fit what they were asked to do. And the number one thing you got to do here with this new management team is try to figure out, okay, who can we get the most out of what we're asking them to do? And who can't we ask to do what <laughs> they're not capable of? And we got to move off of those sort of things. That's what it comes down to more than anything else. Like, same thing, a similar thing for, for a guy like Tanner Pearson. 
we're sitting here talking about how good Tanner Pearson is. If Pearson signed a contract after his an extension after his first year in Vancouver before the pandemic hit, and when there was some talk that he might sign an extension, he's going to pay over four million per season. We're yeah. not sitting here and talking about Tanner Pearson being an underrated player, one of the more underrated performers. If he's making four and a half million, the reason we're saying he was so underrated is because he's making three point two five million and he played well. Yeah. So again, it all comes down to what you're slotting these guys and how much you're asking them to do for what you're paying them. Uh, joining us now, Mike DeFabo, Penguins writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Thanks for this, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for making time for us uh, today. Obviously, you know everything was looking great for the Penguins in this series. And then the Jacob Truba hit on Sidney Crosby happens. And it, in an instant, the, it seemed like the series and momentum flipped immediately over to the New York Rangers, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. I mean, the Penguins were, they had a commanding 2 nothing lead, and they had sucked the life out of Madison Square Garden, which is one of the most electric buildings in the NHL, uh, certainly in the United States. And then just Crosby leaves down the tunnel, and then I almost wonder if there was a psychological component to that for the rest of the team, where they see their captain, who had been driving play and who had been dominating the series, and almost willing the Penguins to a second round. And they see him walk down the tunnel, and next thing you know, in less than three minutes, all of a sudden they had given up uh, three goals and the whole complexion of the game changed and the whole complexion of the series has dramatically changed as well. Well, and, and, the, and the reality is none of us really know the extent of the Crosby injury and you know how long he's going to be out and what's going on. But it's, it's really difficult, given the history, to not be pessimistic about when he's going to return, isn't it? Yeah, it's tough to know because I asked Mike Sullivan today, is it a head injury? And he said he'd didn't want to get into specifics about it, but if you watch the hit, Jacob Truba's elbow clearly goes into Sidney Crosby's head. And so we all know about Crosby's long concussion absences. He also had another concussion not too long ago where he only missed one game. And so hopefully for anybody, I don't care who the player is on what team, you hope for that side of things where, where they recover quickly. But as Crosby's previous concussion history shows us, head injuries are really a tricky thing. And we're still kind of learning about them. And every concussion is different and every player is different in terms of how they recover from them. Um, the one thing I'll say as well about Crosby is I don't care about what part of the body that he injures. He historically has been a guy that comes back when he's 100%. Uh, I think about, like I heard his wrist injury, people were talking about after he had surgery, maybe he could rush himself and be back four games in. It took him seven for example, or like the core muscle surgery that he had a couple seasons ago in 2019, they estimated he would miss at least six weeks. Well, it took him actually 10 weeks because I feel like he holds himself to a certain standard. He knows he's Sidney Crosby. And if he's not going to go out and be Sidney Crosby, he doesn't want to be out there. Now, this is playoff hockey. Guys are warriors. They play through all kinds of stuff. But a head injury isn't something you want to mess with. So there's certainly serious concern if it is indeed a head injury, which appears that that's what it is. How did people in Pittsburgh feel about the hit? Furious. Absolutely <laughs> furious. Yeah, um, I can imagine. I don't imagine that Jacob Truba is, is – uh, there's going to be too many kids holding candy bars looking to exchange <laughs> a, a candy bar for a, for a puck tomorrow with Jacob Truba. I'll tell you that much. And, and um, the, the trouble people have here in Pittsburgh is this is a football town. And so they see the way that the NFL treats its star players. And if you touch Tom Brady – you get a penalty. Or, or if you touch one of the star quarterbacks in the league, you get a penalty. And they see that they have a star that's not being protected. 
And that's the way that it's seen here in a football town uh, is, is why, why is our guy who is seemingly the face of the league for 15 plus years, when someone throws an elbow at that, that face of the league, why is the league not protecting its product is, is part of the argument. And it's, it's um, the, the trouble with the Penguins here is they don't really have a guy on their roster to, to answer in that situation. And that's been continuously a question in a conversation in Pittsburgh because Mike Sullivan came into Pittsburgh and implemented the just play philosophy where Crosby and the rest of the guys would get all caught up in, in trying to get uh, an ounce of flesh and end up losing the game. And he just said the best way to hurt a team is on the power play. Go out and score a goal. Go out and hurt them with a handshake line. That's going to be more crushing than any kind of punch you can throw is looking them in the eye and shaking their hand and ending their season. Um, so, But there's been a little bit of a differing opinions where Jim Rutherford previously brought in Ryan Reeves because he wanted to try to protect Sidney Crosby and Mike Sullivan didn't play him. And so the Penguins don't have somebody on their roster who can answer for this. There's not going to be a response on the ice from the Penguins. And Mike Sullivan, I'm sure his message to the team is, our response needs to be win this game. That's our objective is to win the hockey game, not to try to get our revenge. Well, and that's something that the Penguins historically, especially under Mike Sullivan, have done a tremendous job of. No matter who's injured, next man up, we don't change the way we play. We still find a way to have success. And to your point a bit earlier, it was a bit surprising seeing the team be a bit shook after Crosby got hurt because their MO has been they find a way to get through those sort of things. What has What is the biggest reason behind the fact that even though they go through a lot of different injuries, stylistically, that team is still able to dictate the pace? Yeah, it's a great question. And often, almost, it seems that there are situations when the Penguins lose their star players and somehow they play better. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. And especially, you came into this year, for example, and the Penguins were without Sidney Crosby and also without Evgeny Malkin, who was recovering from a knee injury. And what you had was they, they doubled down on structure and simplicity. And then surprising role players stepped up. Evan Rodriguez who was a healthy scratch in the postseason for uh, some of the games last year during their series against the Islanders, he scored 15 goals through the first 33 games. At the all-star deadline, there was a legitimate argument that he could have been an all-star based on his point production. And so that's what you have with Mike Sullivan teams is consistently. Um, I mean, you even go back to the stretch that I was alluding to with, with Crosby with the core muscle surgery in 2019 when he missed about 10 weeks. Malkin stepped right in and he elevated his game. And that's, that's another important key here. And that's maybe the biggest key to tomorrow's game closing out the series is Malkin and him elevating his game. Because uh, during there's, he's basically like 0.35 points per game better without Crosby in the lineup, which doesn't seem to make sense. But he, he takes it upon his shoulders and he finds a way. He's an emotional player. He's a gamer. And he elevates his game. And I'm really looking for him tomorrow to, to do the same thing, skating along the same wingers that he did in 2019 when he did the exact same thing. Well, yeah, Malkin is, is such a fascinating uh, part of this series. He played pretty well through the first two periods last night, but I thought, you know, in the third, they, they kind of needed him more without Crosby there, and and his game kind of lacked. He took that penalty, too, that uh, wasn't, wasn't really the best. But, you know, the one player that's always shown up in the playoffs for the Penguins – is Jake Gensel. And I feel like he doesn't always get the love that he deserves, but guy's already got over 30 career playoff goals, 
is up to, what, seven already here in this series. I mean, the guy is just an absolute playoff stud. Yeah, exactly. He introduced himself to the playoff world during the 2017 Cup run when the Penguins repeated, and he set a rookie record for goals scored during that postseason and scored a lot of game winners, I believe five game winners. And so right now his seven goals are tied with Kirill Kaprizov for the most of any series. And the big thing with Jake is they actually drafted him with the intention of playing him alongside Malkin. But then when they put him with Crosby, it was just instant chemistry and it just made perfect sense. And when you look at Jake, he's like five foot nine, maybe in reality, maybe shorter than that. He's not especially strong. I know during the draft process, one team made him take his shirt off and look at him just to see how skinny he was. That's what they thought of him. Um, So he's not physically dominant in any way. But what he is is an incredibly intelligent hockey player. And he proves that the most important muscle in the game of hockey is your brain. And he thinks the game on the same level as Sidney Crosby, another guy who is obviously like – otherworldly when it comes to thinking the game, this hockey IQ. And when you pair those two guys together, they're so good. And especially in this series, what's been critical, the Rangers are um, very poor defensively in the cycle game. And that's where Crosby and Gensel, that's where they make their money. And so the Penguins have been doing so much damage there. And Crosby, I believe, has assisted on five of Gensel, has the primary assist on five of Gensel's seven goals. And so those guys showed that real chemistry. So now with a different center. Malkin last night did show he also has some, some playmaking and some chemistry with Jake Gensel. He assists on one of those goals. Is he going to be able to step in and continue that production without, uh, without Crosby being his centerman? You mentioned Malkin, and you know he does have a couple goals, five points in this series. But I mean, a lot of injuries the past few years for him. Where do you think his game is at now, and how much of a toll do you think those injuries have taken on him? This is the same question we asked Mike Sullivan pretty recently, just a month ago. We asked about, well, here's the thing with Malkin. So power play, when he doesn't have to skate and doesn't have to move a lot, he's still a wizard. And when he came back in mid-January, over the next, uh, I believe, six weeks, the Penguins had the top power player, the second best power play in the league. He just is so instinctive and so creative with the way that he plays. It works perfectly on the Penguins' power play. But he's coming back from a knee injury that included uh, a revision of his ACL surgery, the same one that he had back years ago, about a decade ago. So it's that same right knee that's been bugging him for years and that he's had repaired. And there have been times when his skating just doesn't look the same. And so we asked Mike Sullivan about uh, the five-on-five production from Evgeny Malkin, and the word he used was sporadic. And I think that that's a fair assessment. And I think you saw that last night. Uh, Last night he makes a great assist to Chris Letang, he makes a great assist to, to Jake Gensel, but then he's also, you're seeing the other side of Evgeny Malkin. He's undisciplined, and in the third period, when you need Evgeny Malkin to be the guy, to be the difference maker, he's instead in the box with two penalties, so he spends four of the, most, the, the 20 most important minutes of this series in the penalty box, and so that's what you're going to need from him. You're not only going to need him to be that offensive engine, but also you need him to be that smart, responsible player that realizes that he can't help the team if he's in the penalty box, and he can't help the team if he's a liability in his own end. I know it's uh, kind of looking ahead to the summer, but it it is kind of like maybe the last dance for the big three of, of Crosby, Latang, and Malkin. And yes, they're ahead in this series, but 
Now, how much of that storyline is playing out right now in Pittsburgh? It's a huge storyline here in Pittsburgh. And the funny thing is, we ask these guys almost, I'd say, four or five times a year, somebody comes in and asks them a question about, what do you think? Could this be the last year for you guys? Or how many more years do you have left? Or how much longer do you think this championship window is open? And they always kind of sidestep the question. They don't really want to address it. But, but this year, with both Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin set to be unrestricted free agents, when we asked Sidney Crosby ahead of the playoffs about that, he acknowledged and he said, basically, yes, I know that it's a real possibility. He said nothing lasts forever, and if it's not this year, at some point it's going to end. And so they, that, that core, which has accomplished, accomplished so much and hosted three Stanley Cup parades here in Pittsburgh, they were really motivated, I believe, to, to go out there and make this run a special one, and especially you saw it with Crosby. And uh, I'm really intrigued to see how it unfolds going forward in the in the offseason here. Um, you know, the comments that we've ha- heard from Evgeny Malkin, he's, he's actually kind of a, a comical guy, and he says comments like, oh, well, I'm a rich guy, and so I'm not so worried about money. Um, <laughs> yet these, these low-ball offers that he and Chris Letang have received to this point, I think they've been – not happy with um almost i don't i don't want to use the word disrespected but they're they really don't feel like they're even realistic offers are, are what they're receiving so i mean for me if you're getting malkin and you're getting lowballed right now and you feel like you're more valuable than what they're offering you what better time than now to go out there and prove that you deserve more than what they're offering you hey mike i uh, really appreciate your time and your insights thanks for this today Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me. There is uh, Mike DeFabo, Penguins writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, fascinating. Oh. Man, I wonder uh, what, like, Malkin gets on the free agent market should he leave Pittsburgh this summer. Ooh. Who signs a bigger contract, J.T. Miller or Kenny Malkin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. W- would you give Malkin, like, the Pavelski contract? Yeah. Which was, like, what, uh, three years, $21 million? Seven, seven, yeah, seven per year for him. Yeah, three years. Yeah, absolutely. He probably gets eight. You think so? Yeah, I mean, guy who hasn't had as much five on five success, a lot more of an injury history than Pavelski. Yeah, three years. Yeah, I, I can see it. I can see it. I mean, someone's gonna pay Mulliken because he's still a big name superstar, and maybe talk themselves into him maybe being a bit more healthy and figuring it out. But yeah. what about, you know, the feeling that they're getting low-balled by the Penguins? Yeah. That's how Landeskog felt, and it worked out because, you know, ends up re-signing there or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, that's how that's how things can go off the rails. Yeah. But he's a rich guy, so uh, it's not, not that big of a deal. That's yeah. a great line. <laughs> I'm a rich guy. I'm not too worried about it, but I'm not taking less than $60 million. I'm a rich guy. It's, uh, it's no problem. Uh could probably work on my Russian accent. Not uh, as good as uh, your your Italian. <laughs> I, I was waiting for you to uh, do the Mike the Fab or something, but you didn't go there. It's 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 kind of Italified as as it is the Fabo. You know, it's just uh, it mm. is what it is. <laughs> Clearly, yes. Um, penguins are fascinating. I, you know, without Crosby, they were a disaster last night. Right? It's like they were really shook once Crosby went out of the game. But when they've had time to prepare for life without Sid or Malkin, they find a way, man. And how else can you describe it other than they just stick to what works within their structure, which is the buzzword these days, under Mike Sullivan? Man. And see, 
Sullivan's ability to get these guys to buy in is one of his greatest feats. But the other one is just his overall game planning, because he was very much known as the X's and O's guy for Torts, because Torts wasn't really the X's and O's guy, but he was, you know, Sullivan was the guy behind him. So Sullivan, what impresses me about him so much is that he's a really amazing tactician that puts together both sides of it. Like, he's not a guy that's good at one thing. He's really good at both those things. And it took a long time for him to figure, I mean, it took a long time for him to get the opportunity to showcase that, because he was always kind of known as being the heavy to John Tortorella. Right. Uh, easily one of the best coaches in the league right now, Mike Sullivan. Uh, all right. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. We take a look at playnow.com. Uh, a couple of games on the go. Right now, Leafs are trailing the Lightning, who just scored a second goal, so they're down 2 nothing. while the um, Boston Bruins are up 2 uh, nothing going into the third period on the Carolina Hurricanes, not getting much juice to bet on the two teams ahead right now. But if we take a look a little bit later on tonight, Minnesota Wild and St. Louis Blues, Minnesota up against it, pretty much pick them in that game over at playnow.com, plus the Oilers and LA Kings. Kings are the underdog at home to close out this series against a Darnell Nurseless. Edmonton Oilers. I don't know how the Oilers make up for the nurse loss. At I'm not the biggest nurse fan, but they don't really have the player that can eat those minutes the way Darnell Nurse does. Well, and here's where the discussion, you know, can always kind of be brought back to the middle a little bit. The only reason, you know, you and I share the opinion that Darnell Nurse is a bit overrated is the fact that he's making over nine million over the next eight years. Yes, yes. If he was making, say, seven, nobody's having this discussion. So that's the discussion we had about him. But undoubtedly, you take him out of the lineup, that's a huge loss for the Edmonton Oilers, especially a team that's had a really difficult time getting out of their own zone and then trying to generate off the back end and defending in their own zone. Taking him out is a massive hole for that team because I'm not seeing Duncan Keith excelling. No. Evan Bouchard, when he plays more struggles, Cody Cece, well, he's got moments, but not up to the task. Tyson Berry can provide a bit more offense with, with Nurse out, but in his own end, he's not matching up against anybody. So this is a really, really tough injury for the Edmonton Oilers to kind of try to overcome here tonight. Now, I still like their chances, as long as McDavid and Drysaddle play together and, and they go off as soon as the game starts. But it, it, it essentially hinges on them tonight. Uh, I, You know, that one seems like the best value out there, but I, I'm... Tonight I'm riding with the Minnesota Wild. I've I've liked them Ooh. all postseason. Um, so you like Cam Talbot getting the start tonight? It's a bit of a risky play, but uh, I think uh, you know the the thing I'm going to look at is Kevin Fiala. He really needs to get going in this series for the Minnesota Wild. They're desperate for him to get going tonight, so I'm going to go with an anytime goal on Kevin Fiala and a Minnesota win. Oh, all right. I like that. Um, I mean, I will go. I'll, I'll I'll go with what we talked about before, and you know, we spoke to Josh Elliott Wolf about that too. Is hit the power play points, especially for the Edmonton Oilers with how they've played. Anytime mm-hmm. goals, there isn't a ton of value there. But if all of a sudden you start looking at Connor McDavid uh, uh, or Leon Drysaddle on the man advantage for power play points, that's where I'd like to get it. Uh, so take a look at those numbers at PlayNow.com. Your local BC sports book. 
Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. This is Canuck Central. Let's hit the goal horn. A shorthanded marker for Anthony Cirelli has the lightning up 2-0 on the Leafs. That one's a dagger. The two Leaf goals, one shorthanded and the other just a brutal giveaway in the neutral zone from Alex Kerfoot. They are digging their own grave here in Game 6. Clearly the demons have not left Toronto just yet. Meanwhile, Charlie Coyle scores on the power play, giving the Bruins a 2-0 lead. Third period just starting there. The playoff goal horn is brought to you by Surrey Cedar. For quality Cedar products, visit them online at surreycedar.com. This is Sportsnet 650.